Welcome to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes. You're listening to Alternative Talk AM 1150. And it's great to be here today uh, talking with my booth engineer and op- Eric, I ever since you got promoted, I have a block about your new title. <laughs> I am the operations manager for the station. Operations manager uh, of uh, the station, and you do such a great job. It's great to be here again on this fine summer day. Great day to take your dog for a walk. Yeah, beautiful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, fairly warm and supposed to be pretty hot the next few days. So those morning times and those evening times after it started cooling off or before it starts heating up, great times to take your dog for a walk. Absolutely. I'm going to a softball tournament this weekend down in um, Vancouver, Washington, and I think it's going to be about 100 degrees when we play our first game on Friday night. Oh, wow. Yeah. Be sure and hydrate. I know, right? <laughs> I know. I don't have to look out for hot pavement like dogs, like people walking their dogs do, because I'll right. have the benefit of shoes. Uh, well, we've got a great show today. I'm going to, um, Spencer Quinn is an author who I've um, talked with when his last book came out, and he has a new book out called Sense and Sensibility. Scent, of course, spelled S-C-E-N-T-S. I knew there would be a dog twist. Yes, there there <laughs> is. His last one, I think, was Paw and Order, or I don't remember. He's got a bunch of them. They all have really cute titles. I think it was Paw and Order. Or no, maybe it was The Sound and the Furry. That Maybe that was the one that I talked with him about. Anyway, he's a, he's a best-selling author, and the reason why I was introduced to him was because my father actually is a huge fan of his books. My dad is a big dog lover, and... Um, also loves to read mystery novels. And this is a part of the Chet and Bernie mystery series, and he writes these mysteries from the perspective of the dog, who is the partner of um, the human mystery solver. So they're really fun books. They do very well. And his new book is out now and available. So I'll be running my interview with him uh, after the first break, and uh, he was a great guy, really fun conversation with him. Sense and Sensibility is his new book. You can get it anywhere. Books are sold pretty much. And then after that, I'll be running uh, one of my favorite authors who I've talked with over the years, John Katz, about one of his books called Rose in a Storm, which was a, another book um, written from the dog's perspective, but not like the voice of the dog, but... Uh, but written from the dog's perspective, kind of a different take on that. So we have that kind of theme today, um, two great authors and uh, focusing on two great books today. You know, um, I wanted to talk today about, Eric, have you seen the um, stuff all over Facebook about Cecil, Cecil, the lion? Yeah, I actually, I heard about this on the news more than I saw it mm. on the Facebook. But yeah, it's very sad. Yeah, it's it's really really blown up I found out about it this morning um and and for people that don't know this is uh, what happened was a a dentist uh from America I don't know why they always include that he's a dentist but they say that on every news story but this guy from uh from Minnesota I believe went to Africa uh to be a part of a big game hunt and paid a lot of money to do that and then the people that he was working with there uh and there's some confusion of whether he 
uh, paid them specifically to do this or this is something they did on their own end. But they lured a, a uh, beloved local uh, lion out of a, a sanctuary park where the lion stayed and had a scientific research uh, ongoing. And they shot him with a bow and arrow and he, he sadly uh, died. So Tracked him for 40 hours yeah. and then killed him. Yeah. And he had a radio collar on, mm-hmm. and, which they tried to destor- destroy, but were unable to do so. And um, so it's the, you know, and I'm included in this. It, it's really interesting to see the the power of the response to this event mm-hmm. from, you know, from my perspective, the country, and I imagine the world um, on this. And it, it's really bringing up this sort of, topic of you know i would say generally how we treat animals but this this specifically this guy is a a very sort of high profile big game hunter and and it's such a a lot of people are really experiencing this as such a tragedy and i know that i'm one of them um i'm really struck by how devastated i felt and how raw i felt emotionally all day as a result of really connecting to this story and that this was this lion I mean, this doesn't, you know, make a difference one way or the other, but this was, he was the head of a pride of lions and, Mm -hmm. he, you know, uh, just really present to what a loss this is. And, and what concerns me, you know, I hope that this is this, this has an impact and that this lion's life was taken for a reason and that this ultimately ends up. I agree. I mean, if there anything good can come out of this, it's that people are more aware that this is happening, that rich Americans are going over to places like Zimbabwe and it's still doing this big game hunting that we thought probably we thought went out with like Teddy Roosevelt or something, you know. We we just don't imagine people going and doing that and shooting endangered animals for fun and paying big money to do it anymore, but it's still going on. Yeah. And the brutality of it as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know I've, I know uh, some of my friends are hunters, um, not of lions, but right. of you know deer, and I and I've heard them talk about really, and they eat you know they eat what they hunt, and and right. they've talked about how uh, important it is to be mindful of the suffering aspect yeah. of the animal and all that stuff. So I I just hope that this really. Uh, it's made a huge splash, and yeah. people are really talking about it. And I think that this, the way that it was done was obviously wrong. I hope it's treated as criminal activity because it is. And I think my point is that uh, animal cruelty really needs to be taken more seriously in this mm-hmm. country because there is a link psychologically to cruelty of humans as well. And all over the world it should be taken For more sure. seriously. Yeah. yeah. So um, and th- this was like a trophy hunting. These these oh, yeah. big game hunters, they go for trophies. This isn't like so they can feed their family. No. Nobody's uh, bringing back lion meat to Minnesota to eat. It's it's just for to they can, you know, go, "Oh, aren't I cool? I killed a, you know, a lion." Well, no you're not cool. Yeah. Try it with your bare hands. And then you can maybe or how about feel powerful. Leave the lion alone. Well, exactly. <laughs> I mean, I'm like leave you. Obviously, obviously, he has an infatuation with these big game. <laughs> yeah. Get some posters or something <laughs> and put them up in your. You know. Right. I have a photo of a lion in my office. That's how you would. There's them. many ways to appreciate animals that doesn't involve bringing their know. head home. Yeah. yeah exactly. exactly.
So I just wanted to acknowledge that. That's really impacted a lot of people uh, today. A lot of people are talking about it. I've felt a lot of grief around it today and and just feeling really sensitive about it. So anyway, uh, this one's uh, this one's for Cecil and really all the other animals. Uh, hope that his life was not um, given in vain. Um, so we're going to take a quick break. Actually, before we do that, I just have a couple quick announcements. The Vashon Sheepdog Classic, one of my favorite events all year is September 10th through the 13th this year on Vashon Island, just west of Seattle. VashonSheepdogClassic.com is the website. You can go there for more information. I'll be there all weekend, and I'll be leading two uh, panel discussions with some of the trainers during that weekend, so they'll be um, answering questions from the audience. It's going to be a lot of fun. The Vashon Sheepdog Classic is September 10th through 13th this year. VashonSheepdogClassic.com is the website. And I just want to thank our wonderful partners, Jet City Animal Clinic, JetCityAnimalClinic.com. Dr. Anderson and her staff are wonderful. Natural Pet Pantry, Ron, cooked food for dogs and cats, NaturalPetPantry.com. And Pure Air Odor Eliminator. You can find them at ThePureAirStore.com. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, you'll hear my interview with Spencer Quinn, His new book, Sense and Sensibility, is available for purchase now. We'll be back in just a few minutes. The first time we met, you were a kennel maid. You gave me a tip, I got me forecast paid. You were holding the greyhound in trap number one. Your white coat was shining in the afternoon The Natural Pet Pantry is Seattle's original source for wholesome dog and cat meals, offering eight different protein options to accommodate your pet's dietary needs. Made locally using all U.S. sourced ingredients, their freshly ground stews, raw or cooked, can be purchased from their two stores in Burien and Kirkland, most independent pet supply stores, or delivered right to your door. Go to naturalpetpantry.com for more information. I'm Julie Forbes, and my first choice for my pet's food is the Natural Pet Pantry. It's the educated choice. This is Martha Norwalk. Every Sunday morning, beginning at 9 a.m., thanks in part to Peggy Kaler at West Star Pacific Mortgage in Duval, we cover the world of animals. This week, August 2nd, it's Shelter Rescue Sanctuary and Anything That Helps Our Animal Friends Sunday. And it's Seafair Sunday. That means a short version of Animal World before the hydro races begin at 10 a.m. will feature Macaw Rescue and Sanctuary's annual open house barbecue and auction on August 8th. So join us for Martha Norwalk's Animal World Sunday morning, 9 a.m. to noon, right here on Alternative Talk, a.m. 1150. Hey, dog show fans. Does something stink in your home or car? Pure Air is a powerful odor eliminator that is the only natural food-grade product in its category. It works on bedding, kennels, litter boxes, urine, vomit, poop, even skunk spray. You know, all the fun smells our pets bring into our home. It's so non-toxic that you can literally eat it, a requirement for our home and our dogs. Spray pure air on anything you can put water on and let your nose watch the odor disappear. Ask for pure air in stores that specialize in natural, non-toxic products for home. Or visit DogRadioShow.com for a link to their website. I'm Julie Forbes, your host of The Dog Show. Pure air is the only odor eliminator you'll find in my home. You'll love it. Outside the box, outside the norm, inside your radio. Alternative Talk, 1150. We're never gonna break apart, no, no. Cause we're a happy couple, you and me. 
Welcome back to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes. And we're back with Spencer Quinn, New York Times bestselling author of his Chet and Bernie mystery series, talking about his new book that just came out yesterday called The Sound and the Furry. Spencer Quinn, welcome to The Dog Show. Thank you, Julie. Thank you for having me. Now, you this is your sixth in this series, correct? This is the sixth in the series, but really the first time that Chet and Bernie leave the West and come they come to Louisiana for a case and that explains the title. It's a it's the first southern novel in the series. I see. Um you know my father actually is a fan of your books. He's read I think half of the series um and I remembered actually after we scheduled this interview I was like wait a minute I think this was the these are the books that my dad was telling me about. And he wanted me to tell you that he's a huge fan and he thinks your books are awesome. Well, thank you very much. And thank him very much. That's very, very nice to hear. I will. He's a dog lover, um, as I am and as are the rest of my family. Now, you are uh, you write these books in, in a way that has the dog, Chet, sort of narrate the story. Well, yes, that's the, that's the key to it right there. Chet, okay, Bernie is the private detective. These are classic private eye novels in the form going way back to Holmes and Watson where the sidekick tells the story in the first person. Now, let's leave you know aside for the moment the question of who the sidekick is. So Bernie is the detective, and Chet is his dog, and he tells the story in the first person, but he's not a talking dog. He's not he's he's not anthropomorphic. He's he's as canine as I can make him. He he's not a human wrapped in a dog suit like a lot of other right. dog narrators. Mm-hmm. He he can't talk. He can't he's confined and also blessed to be, you know, within the dog framework. And and uh I think if if it does work, that's what makes it work. Yeah. And that's something that I've talked with other authors in the past, too, John Katz being one of them who wrote a book uh, through a dog's perspective. And he was um, sort of speaking to that value of his of really staying true to the dog as an animal and not making it too, uh, you know, not straying too much from that as far as his interpretation of, of how the dog might narrate it. And you definitely throw in... You know, I've only just started the book, um, but it's really I've sort of chuckled a few times already where I've where you've kind of thrown in a, a couple little remarks that the dog has made in his narration that definitely uh, show or portray that he, it is, in fact, a dog, not a human, where he's been confused about the use of certain words where yes. that are yeah. common in human expression, but he was like, I don't know, why would somebody be talking about a cow right now? I don't understand that. But Yes, well, any time any kind of, you know, an- other animal is mentioned in a common human expression, say a wild goose chase. Right. I mean, his ears prick up immediately. I mean, he's still, he's heard of wild goose chases so often, and he's still really waiting. He wants he wants to be on one. Right. right? It's like, but that sounds it's, it's fun. never happened. Right, right, right. So, yes, I mean, that's what... You know that's the idea of it, but the I mean the engine that drives these stories is the love between Chet and Bernie, the love between the detective and and Bernie and Chet mm-hmm. um, and that's what really there these are all mysteries, and they have dark moments and 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 things like that, but it the core of it is the feeling between the two of them. 
And this is something you know something about in your personal life? Well, yeah, to the extent that, you know, I, I've had, if, if having is the expression, um, you know, I've had dogs, lots of them, and, you know, been, you know, felt very close to them. Uh, we have two right now. Audrey's a eight-year-old Bernese Golden Mix, who's a wonderful watchdog and never wants to come in the house, even on the coldest day. <laughs> and Pearl is a two-year-old golden of the very, very white kind, mm-hmm. and so far I'd say she's getting by on looks alone. No. <laughs> very cute. Well, it's a theme. You have your blog, which is uh, chetthedog.com. I'll post a link to that on our, our homepage as well. Um, so you have an ongoing blog there, and then, of course, your whole series. Now, before we forget, and I will say this again throughout the interview, but you're actually going to be in Seattle Monday the 16th at noon, and where will you be? Yes, Monday the 16th at noon. I'll be at the Seattle Mystery Bookshop. Seattle Mystery Bookshop. Yeah, which is a great store um, that I've dropped in before and actually bought books, and I'm just delighted, you know, that I'm going to be there. Yeah. So your book just came out yesterday, correct? It did. And it's called The Sound and the, the Furry. The Sound and the Furry. Yeah. Exactly. And Chet even, there's some remark even about that. Um, that some, Bernie says something in there. But what happens in this book is that, you know, Chet and, they live in Arizona, but through the first five books, Chet doesn't know that. You, the reader, can kind of figure it out, but the word Arizona is is never used. In this book, um, in The Sound and the Fury, they take a case in Louisiana. What happens is they're in Arizona, they're driving down a, a road, and they see one of those prison work crews, you know, guys in orange jumpsuits, yep. and they always slow down when they see, because there's a good chance they'll know somebody. Right. And yes, there's a perp that they put away, and he turns out to be from Louisiana. He's very worried about his brother who's disappeared. So they take a case in Louisiana, and and um, it involves stolen shrimp and the oil business and a bunch of things like that. Mm. But when- Chet also finds himself alone, kind of mano a mano with one of the you know famous and most feared kind of creatures that exists in the Louisiana swamp. Oh boy. Well, one of the things that you, in through your writing and through Chet's narration, the dog, um, one of the things that I, I really liked, with my expertise is in training and behavior, so I'm quite tuned in to dogs' perspective and understanding, first, why they're doing what they're doing in order to come mm-hmm. up with a solution and then mm-hmm. work with the owner to, you know, configure that, um, was where he noticed the... Uh, how dilated I think the pupils of I don't remember which character it was but somebody was approaching and he he was um, narrating oh and this person's eyes are it was something about the quality of the the Mm -hmm. wideness of the eyes and the the size of the hole or something like Mm -hmm. that and he was like and that doesn't necessarily mean good things so I'm going to pay attention basically and it's Mm -hmm. Really speaks to all of those nonverbal, sort of obvious but nonverbal subtleties that we so frequently forget about because we get so caught up in our words in our head. Oh, I think you're so. I mean, you. Could, that's one of the reasons Chet and Bernie form such a good team. I mean, you know, in mystery fiction, it's you know the plot. It's all about following a logical chain of clues. 
you know, till you it adds up to something. Well, Chet can't do that. And even if he could, you know, some important clue might be getting revealed, you know, and at that moment he sniffs a Cheeto under a couch, you know, and he's mm-hmm. not paying attention for the next little while. So actually he's sort of an unreliable narrator. But there are things he can do that are far, far beyond, you know, what Bernie or any other human detective can, you know, having to do with his sense of smell and his sense of hearing. Mm. And, I mean, he's he's absolutely flummoxed by the fact that, you know, Bernie's nose isn't small for a human nose, yet it seems incapable of doing anything useful. Right. Yeah, and we really can't comprehend what it is like to experience a dog's sense of smell. It's amazing. Right, exactly. I mean, when you when you hear talk of, you know, they're able to smell disease in humans, mm. and which is something I've actually used in this series a couple times, because yeah. it's, you know, it can intrude a dark note. A conversation can be happening, Bernie and some person who's very cheerful, and then Chet you know, there's a remark of Chet's that, oh, he smells just like so-and-so who's in the hospital type right, of thing. Right, right, yeah. Ooh. Um, so the Seattle Mystery Bookshop, which is where you're going to be this Monday, the 16th at noon. Um, yes, I'll do, it'll be like a probably a little talk, a signing, and also there's usually a pop quiz. I, I do a little pop quiz skill testing questions from the series three or four and prizes are given out i think this year we have last year we had chet and bernie frisbees and this year those proved a little dangerous to be winging them out into the audience <laughs> so this year we have chet and bernie stress balls which oh, you know nice. are harmless yes yeah, softer if, if yes if, i won't if, be hitting hit any, <laughs> any readers in the head with these yeah so the seattle mystery bookshop the website is seattlemystery.com and it's on 117 cherry street in seattle And Spencer Quinn will be in Seattle uh, Monday, this Monday, the 16th at noon. We have a really fun event uh, the weekend prior. I don't know when you're coming in, but um, it's a sheepdog trial on Vashon Island, which is just west of the city. Oh, that would be... No, I come in the night before. Yeah. But that would be wonderful. I love that kind of thing. So are you traveling all over the country right now for the book tour? Yeah. Yeah, I am. That's um, it's a lot of fun. I mean, you meet readers from you know all over the country, and at some of these signings, it's okay. People bring their dogs. Mm-hmm. Um, some of them are in the so you know we um, sometimes the humane society or a shelter uh, is involved, and you know they get some of the proceeds, that type of thing. What's the what's the feedback that you t- commonly get as you're talking with um, fans of your books about the the narrative from the dog's perspective? Are there things that sort of typically strike people that you hear people commonly say or report uh, to you? That's a great question. Over and over again, on Chet's Facebook page and on the blog and on Twitter, you hear, now after reading these books, I'm looking at my dog differently. Yeah. You know, what's going on in, in his or her mind. So, uh, yes, I hear that over and over. And, and the other thing is that um, I think the series is... <laughs> People, I mean, to, to some people, it's it, it's there's something comforting about it too, and that's nice to hear. Now, you said before the break, I asked you if you get some kind of common feedback from your fans about the specifically about the the books being told from the perspective of the dog and really being narrated by the dog. And you said that people often report that they really it makes them look at their dog differently. And I think mm-hmm. that is such, I so appreciate your contribution <laughs> to people and dogs and the dogs who live with them. 
And that's something that I hope I accomplish as well, is to just kind of get people thinking, oh, wow, what is it like to be really be my dog and to not just interact mm-hmm. with the dog as as a receptacle for affection? Or, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, for really, I am constantly coaching people in my training business to engage their dogs mentally, mm-hmm. engage their mind, engage their brain. Dogs want to work, but really understanding, well, what does that mean? How does a dog want to work, you know, and understanding, well, what's fulfilling for that dog as an individual? But so many of the behavioral challenges that people have come from a result of the dog's not being mentally engaged at all in their mm-hmm. life, and they're just essentially unemployed. Yes, I mean, I couldn't agree more. And one of the things Chet loves about his life is that he is employed. Yeah. He has a career, and, um, you know, he and Bernie are partners, and, and, and he has a career, and, it, 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 you know, it makes him feel good. He, you know, it, it's, you know, Chet, it, you know, these stories are not, you know, we, what we call in the mystery business, cozies. You know, the dark things happen, and, and Chet suffers from time to time, but what I've noticed is he comes back very quickly to his reset position, mm. which is one of feeling pretty good. Yeah. And I'm not like that myself, but <laughs> having sort of watched Chet, I'm kind of imitating him a little. It's crazy that a figment of your own imagination could cause you to change your own behavior, but it sort of happened. And I think that's another thing readers respond to, mm. is Chet's resilience. Yeah. Well, and one of the things that we were talking about, I think, off the air is how present and in the moment dogs are. Mm-hmm. Or maybe you were saying that um, in a comment on the air, but it's it's something that I think is very one of the reasons why dogs are so therapeutic for people just in, you know, living with dogs is, and working with dogs, too, is that it really is an exercise in slowing down and being present and really paying attention to all of the details of the moment and listening well and um it's a really really cool thing to see that sort of light bulb so to speak go on for people when they really do connect with their dog and that kind of uh rubs off i mean i agree totally with you juliet i you know i I, okay i'm not a scientist but i suspect just from what i've read that you know we've it's not just that dogs have evolved to sort of cooperate with us i think we too have evolved to cooperate with them. Mm-hmm. Like, it's almost like it's a team, almost evolu- in an evolutionary sense. And I think if we... That's why it's so rewarding when you really do, you know, get into a... You know, the kind of relationship you're talking about with a dog. Mm. A pre- one that's, you know, where both parties are present. Mm. Well, we uh, we have some lucky uh, winners, Judy from Seattle, Shelley from Renton, and Robert from Massachusetts won copies of your book. So that's exciting. Great. Thank you so much for providing those for our listeners. Um, so Chet the Dog is your website, ChetTheDog.com. It's ChetTheDog.com is the blog. And then it, on Facebook, it's just uh, ChetTheDogFacebook.com. Okay. And uh, there are people often send in pictures of their dogs, and every month there's a, a drawing for a winner, and that dog's displayed for the month, and, and the winner gets a, a signed and paw-printed copy of the latest book. Oh, nice. Very nice. Do you have breeds that are breeds that you're sort of partial to? You know, 
I used to, and now, I mean, Chet is not a, a breed. He's, mm-hmm. you know, a mixture, and he doesn't even know what he is. He just knows that he's a 100-plus pounder, yeah. and his ears don't match, yeah. you know, because someone has said so in front of him. Right. And so I really, no, I really don't. Yeah. I mean, I always watch the Westminster Dog Show. I love it. Yeah. But I have plenty of room in my heart for, you know, dogs that wouldn't be in that show. Yeah. It's a it's a question that I can't answer. I maybe when I was younger I could have, but now it's like, oh, no. There's no way. I there's no way. I mean, and 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 mutts, I mean, I love mutts as much as I love pure breed dogs and there's just no way to choose. Uh we so, have four dogs, so we have quite the variety at home, but Nice. Well, the smartest dog I ever had by far was a mutt. Yeah. You know, she she could tell from our house, you can't. There's a trucks, you know, come around a corner. We're at the end, a dead end, and the UPS guy um, always would throw her a little biscuit, even if he wasn't delivering. And the FedEx guy never. Mm. Oh. She, and I noticed from my the window of my office where I do my writing that she okay. I I wouldn't see or hear anything, and suddenly she'd run down to the road, and the and the UPS guy would come, and he'd throw her a biscuit. And she wouldn't move if the and then the FedEx guy would come. She could tell from the sound yeah. of those trucks yeah. when they were sti- both invisible and I couldn't hear them. Yeah, and would only bother going down to the road for the UPS <laughs> one. So I know. <laughs> it's a smart delivery person that carries treats with them, isn't it? Oh yeah. yeah. Well, uh, best of luck on your book tour and especially in your visit to beautiful Seattle. Have you been to Seattle before? Yes, I have, and I'm, I love it. I'm really looking forward to being there. Well, enjoy. He's going to be at the Seattle Mystery Bookshop this Monday, the 16th at noon. Uh, book signing and a pop quiz for prizes and uh, a great event if you're um, in the area and are a fan Come down and meet Spencer Quinn. He's the author of the Chet and Bernie series, mystery series, and his new book, The Sound and the Furry, has just come out yesterday, and you can get that pretty much anywhere books are sold. So check it out. And uh, my dad is a huge fan of your books, and he was super excited that I was interviewing you today. So Thank you he very says much. hello. Say hi to him for me. I will. Well, um, have a great tour, and thanks so much for your time today. The pleasure was mine, Julie. Thanks so much. Thanks. All right, we're going to take a quick break. Uh, Again, Spencer Quinn's newest book, Sense and Sensibility, is available now. That is Scent as in S-C-E-N-T-S. Sense and Sensibility by Spencer Quinn. His newest book is available pretty much anywhere books are sold. We'll be back in just a few minutes talking with John Katz about his book, Rose in a Storm. You're listening to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes. Wish your dog didn't hate going to the vet? Wish you were welcomed by a team who cared? Jet City Animal Clinic is an enjoyable respite from the same old thing. Dr. Anderson and her team have created a full-service facility that combines veterinary expertise with a comfortable style. Jet City Animal Clinic is located in Seattle's Capitol Hill neighborhood on 12th Avenue across from Seattle U. Bring your crazy questions, odd ideas, and alternative thinking. 
Jet City Animal Clinic will work with you to keep your furry family members healthy and happy. Traditionally educated with an open mind, call us at 206-329-0253 or email info at jetcityanimalclinic.com to make an appointment. Jet City Animal Clinic, a unique approach to the health care of your urban pet, a local family practice, jetcityanimalclinic.com. Pure Air's powerful formula lets you eliminate pet odors safely. It's strong enough to effectively get rid of smells like urine, plus stronger odors like those that can be caused by illness. Pure Air is safe enough to spray directly onto people, animals, or use in the bath or laundry. Pure Air is perfect for dealing with dire situations, refreshing your dog between baths, or just before company comes. Pure Air is the most effective product you can buy to remove stinky pet odors safely. Find it at stores like Mud Bay, McClendon's, and Natural Pet Pantry, or visit their website, pureair.com. That's pure, A-Y-R-E, dot com. I'm Julie Forbes, host of The Dog Show. Pure Air is the only odor eliminator you'll find in my home. You'll love it. The Natural Pet Pantry is Seattle's original source for wholesome dog and cat meals, offering eight different protein options to accommodate your pet's dietary needs. Made locally using all U.S. sourced ingredients, their freshly ground stews, raw or cooked, can be purchased from their two stores in Burien and Kirkland, most independent pet supply stores, or delivered right to your door. Go to naturalpetpantry.com for more information. I'm Julie Forbes, and my first choice for my pet's food is the Natural Pet Pantry. It's the educated choice. This is Julie Forbes, dog training, behavior, and nutrition specialist and owner of Sensitive Dog, thoughtful guidance for you and your dog. If your dog needs basic obedience training, a behavior evaluation, or food consultation, I can help you. Call me at 206-372-7399 or visit my website, www.sensitivedog.com. I teach group obedience classes, in-home lessons, and evaluations, and a two-week intensive training program called Higher Education. Again, I'm Julie Forbes, Seattle's dog behavior training and nutrition specialist, www.sensitivedog.com. 1150kknw.com, your connection to Alternative Talk, 1150 AM. We are back with author John Katz and uh, talking about his new book, newest book, Rose in a Storm. Welcome back, John. Thank you. So, um... Now, I want to talk to you about this book, um, and first of all, now I know that you have a dog, Rose, and that this book is um, inspired by her. Um, How much of it is really, or how much of the character in the book do you feel is really really based off of your perception of her in real life? Well, I think a lot of it is, I, 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 I wanted to write a book where, I was really projecting Rose, the real dog, in a situation where there's a blizzard and she is left alone on the farm. Mm-hmm. The farmer is injured and removed. Mm-hmm. And I've always wondered, what would Rose do? We've had plenty of blizzards here. And um, you're talking about a gorgeous day. It's not such a gorgeous day here. Mm. Um, so, you know, winter has set in. And um, we've been through, you know, I, I never appreciated Rose more than during a blizzard because yeah. she would go dig out the sheep. Sometimes we lambed uh, during storms. She would find the lambs and put them together with their mother. Incredibly faithful to a task. 
you know, she just gets it done. And I wonder, well, what would happen if I were were gone? Yeah. And she found herself alone in that situation, and the coyotes are coming around, and there's all kinds of dangers. What would she do? Yeah. Um, and so I, that's where the book really takes off into fiction, of course, because I don't know what she would do. Right. Um, and the more I was talking to behaviorists and watching her and thinking about her, I kind of imagined this, this, the point to which, you know, I believe she would be very faithful to her work for as long as she could. Mm-hmm. At the same time, I didn't want to do a Disney story. I wanted it to be true to what a dog might conceivably do. I maybe pushed the boundaries of that in a couple of places, but, but I mean, these are all things that I would run each of these scenarios by behaviorists and say, could a dog do this? Could a dog do this? Um, and the picture of a dog's mind, which is actually so much more interesting than I had even thought, mm-hmm. imagining a world, as you were describing very much yourself, of all kinds of smells and sounds and sights pouring into her consciousness that we generally don't see or smell or hear. Mm-hmm. So she's aware of so many more things than I am. Mm-hmm. And so many more things are going into her, her decision-making that I don't know about. And I, I think of it as a million stories kind of pouring into her head. Yeah. And she's processing them almost like a video game um, and reacting to them. I liked what you um, what you talked about throughout the book, especially as it got more intense um, and survival became more of an issue about how tuned in she was to everybody's heartbeats. Right, right. Because were things that we never would hear. Right. Um, and I see that, you know, I see that with her and the sheep um, where she would clearly know when a, when a ewe is pregnant. Mm-hmm. And obviously by hearing the heartbeat of the lamb, mm. she would just react very differently to it. She would stop hurting them mm. and kind of even move around them almost like she, they weren't there. Um, and, and then when when lambs were born, well, I couldn't see them sometimes or hear them, and she would just tense up and, and go to them and and instinctively keep them with the ewes so that you know they bond that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and during storms and things, this was invaluable. She also had these some situations, not quite as intense as the book, but I remember one night she just took her rough one up, and we were, I was out uh, doing some chore, and she really stiffened. And I had a big light with me, and I pointed up to the pasture, and I saw there were two or three coyotes at the top of the hill. Mm-hmm. Um, they were kind of moving down towards the sheep. Um, and, of course, you know, I wasn't quite sure what they were or what to do, and I saw her move up the hill and get between them and the sheep and stand there. It was a very powerful thing for me because I was concerned for her, and I saw the coyotes were not running away. Yeah. Um, and the sheep kind of ran to me, and she just stood there, and there was something, I don't know, very, I guess, primal about it. It was almost as if she were digging back to some other place, and she was clearly not going to move. She wasn't charging the coyotes like another dog might do. She wasn't running after them. But she wasn't moving either, and it was sort of like, she was making a stand, mm-hmm. and they just quietly turned away mm. uh, and left. And, um, <clears throat> and you know, again, I'm thinking, well, you know, you could write that story a lot of different ways. If I wanted to be make a lot of money, I would say, well, Rose was trying to save me or trying to, you know, but as, as you know, she was calling on some very instinctive part of herself. She was just protecting the sheep. Um, and she was clearly prepared to sacrifice herself. She wasn't running off, and if they'd come down the hill... She couldn't possibly have handled them all. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just was thought, well, God, you know, would she run at some point? Would she fight? Would she? What would she do? Um, I don't really know that, but but I think that I could see this, you know, this kind of response coming from some other place that I did not understand. Mm-hmm. 
Well, and um, it does. It's not something that needs to be romanticized. It well, might or even or even known might be for some people. Like you've talked about, you know, appealing to maybe more people. But coming from somebody who, you know, myself, where I work with dogs professionally, I have for many years. I feel like I have a very deep understanding of them. I felt like it was. I I really liked that it you were really being trying to be true to the dog and not writing to what people may want to hear or what might feel good or whatever, but really staying true to the dog and honoring them as animals in that way. Well, I appreciate that, and of course, you know, some people were not happy with that. You know, um, people felt like you know that should be it should have been they, they didn't quite they thought some of the critics thought that she was cold, that she was just not. Um, well, she wasn't quite the dog they were, you know, I think they were hoping for. And a lot of people, of course, love the book. But but it was interesting. The reactions, people were a little bit uncomfortable with her in some cases. I found that people who really knew dogs really liked her character. And people who didn't know them as well were a little bit uncomfortable with her. I don't know what the word is. Her lack of emotion, I guess, would be. The, would be. And also her ability, as you remember from the book, in certain cases where there were things she just couldn't do, she just let it happen. Yeah. You know, some, you know, there's death in the life of a dog, and they don't react to it the way we do. Right. Well, um, and, and for, for I'd say, the general population, at least in this country, why we have dogs is for emotional reasons. But Rose's purpose with her in her real life and also in her character in the book is to do her job. And there is certainly a bond between her and Sam, who's the farmer. But um, it's not centered around the emotional connection. It's around the connection through working together, which is, I can see how most people may not be comfortable with that, because what are dogs if they are not meeting our emotional needs? Well, well I think that's a great point. And, I, and one of the issues that's become uh, more important to me, and I suspect to you as well, I'm guessing, is that this, you know, we're kind of exploiting dogs in many ways by by taking what we need from them, but not necessarily understanding what they need. Mm-hmm. And, and when, you, when, you, when you use the life of a dog to make yourself feel better or to create something you need in your own emotional life, that's fine, but, but it's not often coming from the dog's needs, it's coming from your needs. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you know, I was very, very shocked to discover that there are 300,000 dogs in America now on medication for separation anxiety. Mm. And, and, you know, this is a very new thing. Your dogs managed to make it for 19,000 years without Prozac. Right. Um, and now we're medicating them like crazy. And I think this is one of the things that comes from this projection of our emotional problems onto them. You know, we're dumping our stuff onto them. Yeah. Um, we're making them nuts. And, um, and, and then because they're nuts, we're, we're treating them in a very human way rather than training them or understanding them. And, you know, Rose is a dog. It would be so easy to make her crazy. You know, she's very high-strung and, and, and very straightforward. And, and if I didn't deal with her very carefully and knowing her, she could easily get to be a neurotic dog. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so it's very important, I think, to... Uh, one reason I wrote the novel is it's very important, I think, to try to present the true nature of a dog. And, and you know, this is the way they are. This is not the way. They don't act out of heroic motive. You know, they act out of wonderful instinct, which is just as good. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, I just think it's important to kind of explore that. And I knew, I mean, I knew that, you know, that this was not necessarily the, the dog a lot of people want, but it is the dog a lot of people, you know, want. 
in a way. And I think that, you know, I think she's a very, very admirable character to me. Yeah. Because I, because I think the fact that she's acting out of instinct doesn't detract anything from me. She does the work. You know, she's incredibly brave. She's she's very faithful, and she's extremely competent. We had this incident, you know, that was riding around the ATV on the farm, and and we came across a a, a, a fawn trapped in a pasture gate. She got stuck there overnight, and she had obviously been struggling. She was bleeding and was in a panic, and I could not get near her. She would just lash out at me with with her with her hooves. And Rose was with me, and this was sort of I call the ballet. You know, I just we just started figuring it out um, and I would get near her and she would kick at me and I would get back and then I saw Rose put it together she started going around the far side of, of, the, of the fawn she would bark a bit and distract her mm-hmm. and every time the, the fawn would turn to me Rose would move a little closer bark and step back so after 15 or 20 minutes I saw that Rose had completely turned the, the fawn's attention away from me and she was just locked, almost locked eyes with her, and, and they were staring at each other. Mm-hmm. And and I could, I got in and unlatched the gate, and could free her. Mm-hmm. Um, and this was a wordless sort of work. I don't have any commands for that. Yeah. And I certainly didn't know what I was doing. Mm-hmm. But she was taking her instincts and her experience. She was reading me. She was kind of looking at what I was trying to do. Um, and she was just instinctively kind of you know, drawing attention of this animal away from me so I could do whatever it was I was trying to do. There's a similar scene in the book, correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I put that I put that scene in the book. Yeah. Um, I mean, a little different, but the same idea. Yeah. And, and, and that was a case where I was calling behaviors and saying, okay, what's going on here? And, you know, you could say, well, Rose is just a hero. You know, she wanted to save the deer. Um, but the truth is she was, she was harking back on thousands of years of breeding, uh, this great instincts for working with people, and what I think is, is also a very important thing, that dogs, given a chance to make decisions and do things, become more intelligent. Right. And in America, very few dogs get to do anything. You know, they just don't have any decisions to make, and they're on leashes all the time. You know, in my, I'm doing a short story collection uh, coming out in a year or two, and, and I have this short story called Luther and Minnie Go to Heaven, mm-hmm. in which a woman who always wanted to meet her dog in heaven, she dies, and she goes to heaven and she says to the dog angel I want to go see my dog and the angel takes her to dog heaven and she's shocked to see that it's broken into five different parts it's one part where they're having sex one part where they're rolling in disgusting stuff (laughs) one part where they're tearing up gardens and eating the bulbs one part where they're chewing up sofas and and, uh, and peeing on furniture Um, and and she's shocked she says I wouldn't let my dog do any of these things And, and the angel says well that's why they call it dog heaven right dog heaven. And she, and she says, well, is there a dog hell? And she says, yes, there is. It's, it's, a, it's a place where they're neutered right away and they're spayed mm-hmm. and they're always on leashes and they have to eat dry kibble. Yeah. And they never get to do what they want. So I think the idea of dogs are living our lives, but they don't get to live their lives. Yeah. So um, one of the things that I really liked in your book, throughout the book, is you're talking about Rose's map. And I really liked that as a way to describe um, her brain, kind of, and sort of her view of the farm and how she keeps track of all the animals and the responsibilities. You referred to it as her map. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I I realized that Rose has a uh, really a map, a sense in her head of how things ought to go on the farm. I don't have that myself. Mm -hmm. I'm blessed with that. 
<laughs> if I were to drop a cell phone or keys or something out in the field, um, which happens frequently, mm-hmm. um, I would just let Rose out, and she goes immediately to them because uh, they weren't there before. Mm. So anything that wasn't there when she was last there, she spots right away. Yeah. And and I realized in the, in the course of this that she sort of has a, a picture in her head. I call it a map. Um, I saw this, a good example of this. I was in the barn, was lying on the ground trying to put some cables together, and as usual, I was oblivious to what was going on around me. And the sheep were split. Some of the sheep were in the upper pasture, some were out on the, behind me. And I had put some, some food out for, for the one group, and, and the other, I didn't realize it was kind of running, almost stampeding towards me to get through to the food. And I was just busy, you know, doing something else. And, and Rose was way up in the hill with the, with the first group. And she saw this group running towards me, which I didn't see. And she came rocketing down the hill. The first I was aware of this was she came leaping over my head. Mm. and landed on the other side of me and stopped the sheep who were running towards me. And I was just startled. And, I, and again, I thought about this and, and, and talked to behaviorists about it and thinking, well, what's going on? You know, I mean, again, the story that would be nice to write was she was just trying to save me. Um, and that may be true, but it's more complicated than that. You know, I think in her mind, a border collie's mind, this is something wrong with the scene. The sheep are running, which made her nervous. She couldn't see me, which probably made her nervous. The sheep weren't together, which made her nervous. So she she just reacted very quickly and came down to find me um, and then stopped them, stopped the movement. Mm-hmm. And as to whether she was protecting me or not, it's quite possible that instinctively she would be protecting the person she's working with. I know you're working with your cattle dogs, so you know how you know they, how important it is to them to work with people they're working with. Mm-hmm very powerful relationship so she could certainly have been aware of that and and just tried to protect me instinctively rather than consciously and also just to bring order to the scene to get all the sheep together to stop the running to take control of it mm-hmm. um, so any number of things would have been off in terms of this map by that scene and so she would have moved very quickly the part that I think is interesting and this is the gray zone you were talking about the mystery before mm-hmm. um, is you know she ran very very quickly and, and leapt over me, so she was clearly trying to stop them from getting to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the part that I think, you know, is a little bit exciting and gray, um, in that exactly what, what was going on there. And, and I have to say, you know, I <clears throat> the dog has saved my life a couple of times. <clears throat> you know, once I've fallen down several times on the ice in the winter, one time it was just sub-zero weather, and I was in kind, knocked myself out. Mm. I, my back of my head hit a, bit, a stone wall. And I was lying in this, you know, 10, 20 below zero wind. And she came over to me and just started biting my ear mm. and yipping, and, and which she never does anything like that, um, until I got up. And you could see she was unquestionably trying to get me up. It's just, it was really wrong for her to see me lying like that. Mm-hmm. And very agitated. And, and have a border collie biting your ear, you're going to get up. Yeah. So, I mean, that, you know, I don't, I think I might not have made it had she not done that. Um, and one day we were out in the woods and this bunch of wild pigs came flying over the hill. And she just, you know, and they're nasty. I didn't realize how tough pigs are. Yeah. Um, I didn't know they had teeth. I didn't know that. And she just threw herself in front of them and made this ferocious racket um, until I could get organized and just get out of there. You know, and that's, that's a, such an amazing relationship between the working dog 
which I think almost all dogs are in one way or another. I mean, uh, dogs are, I think, are meant to work. Yeah. All kinds of different, doesn't have to be sheep. Um, so I think that, you know, this, these qualities, you know, I, being up here and seeing her working with her like that, uh, I think the most striking thing to me is just seeing her evolve. And, you know, this is a, this is a, a, a creature who has sort of, what I would say, come to consciousness a bit. And that her pride, her confidence, her decision making has just, has just changed so dramatically. Um, you know, that she's really become something of a partner. Mm-hmm. And the trust that we have, and the, and the, you know, just as with the, with the deer, you know, the confidence I have in working with her is just, is, is a very striking thing. Yeah. So it was fun. I mean, I, I had this, uh, editor, you know, editors aren't supposed to edit anymore, but my editor didn't get the memo on that. Um, and so she's very much like Rose, I like to say. <laughs> you know, she's she's a very focused, workaholic, tough a person. Mm-hmm. And she really got the character because in some ways she is that character. And um, so that was a great collaboration, too. She really identified with the character and, and really helped me stay on track in terms of, you know, so easy to step over the line there. Yeah. The other, the other part of it, too, which I'm sure you noticed, I got a little bit inventive and mystical towards the end. Yes. Um, because I realized that dogs like that, you know, where do they get that strength? Where does it come from? And you have to go back in history to see that all of these dogs, especially the working dogs, you know, they come from wolves. Mm-hmm. And there's, you can see that in them, you know, mm-hmm. whether it's a cattle dog or a border collie. You know, there's just the wolf comes up there when they need it. Mm-hmm. Because how does a small dog, you know, Rose is 30 pounds, uh, how does a dog get, you know, 5,000 pounds of sheep to move? Yeah. You know, with this great, any one of them could run right over her. Yeah. Um, and, and they never do. It's just like, you know, this has this great possession and authority that I think comes from a very ancient place. Yeah. But my, my favorite scene, one of my favorite scenes is when she goes out into the woods and watches the coyotes. And, and I really, I like writing that because I've always imagined that a dog like Rose would have a very playful side somewhere in her and would just love to be running around out there, you know? Yeah. Well, it was such a pleasure talking with John Katz and earlier in the show, Spencer Quinn. If you've missed any of this show or any of our over 300 episodes, you can find them archived on our website, which is dogradioshow.com. And you can also find us as a free audio podcast on iTunes as well. And uh, if you're on Facebook, be sure to find us, our Facebook page. If you just search for The Dog Show with Julie Forbes, I post all of our episodes directly to our Facebook page as well. Lots of ways to listen. We've had so many great shows over the years. Uh, Today's theme was authors, and I've talked with a lot of authors. One of my favorite topics of interview, I've had the opportunity to read a ton of really awesome books, and you can search through the archives specifically for the authors that I've interviewed. There actually is a category designated as such, and you can uh, look at all the different books that I've read and all of the authors I've talked to and to listen to them. Reminder that the Vashon Sheepdog Trials this year are September 10th through the 13th on Vashon Island, just west of Seattle. You can go to VashonSheepdogClassic.com for more information about that. I look forward to being there all days this year and hosting a panel discussion with some of the trainers both Saturday and Sunday. Again, that's VashonSheepdogClassic.com. Have a great week. Remember to get get your dog out for walks as much as you can, and we'll be back next Wednesday talking with the author, another author, the book called 
Good dog, happy baby, talking about preparing your dog for the arrival of your child. Thanks for listening to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes.